0: Thank you so much, Mayor, for coming on the show today. I appreciate you taking the time. know you're super busy. Uh, for those who don't know you, you're the mayor of Miami. You've become super popular lately, especially on Twitter, as really the most tech-friendly mayor in the world. Um, you're recruiting not just companies, but individual investors and entrepreneurs as well. But before you were popular in tech and on Twitter, you were very popular in Miami. So you ran for mayor and got 86% of the vote from Miami residents how did you go about, you know, when you initially ran for mayor, how did you become so popular among, you know, the people that you now uh, serve as mayor?
1: Well, first of all, thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you. Um, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes in life, you, you know, people, there's a saying in, in some of our churches, they, they see the glory, but they don't know the real story. And, and part of the issue is sometimes you don't realize you got to go backwards to go forwards. And, and, and for me, it actually starts with a, an attempt in 2013 to unseat an incumbent. I thought, uh, you know, I was a next generation candidate and I thought, you know, I could with the energy and, and, my, and what, I, what, what I felt was my ability uh, could create a, a, a tectonic shift in Miami politics. And so I ran in 2013 and was unsuccessful. I ended up getting out of that race, stayed as a councilman. And then when I ran in 2017, uh, I became i went from 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 being an underdog to being inevitable. and so I think you know what's interesting is people will focus on the, you know the the win of eighty six percent, which is phenomenal right and it's something that's hard to do under the best of circumstances but they they actually have to look back a little further and understand that uh, before there was that great success, there was a failure that I learned from uh, that allowed me uh, to to be able to be in a situation where where I could garner that kind of support. I think the second part of it is, you know, look. I've always considered myself uh, as a uh, someone who is a collaborator. Um, I try to be as nonpartisan as possible. It's very hard to get 86% of the vote anywhere if you are hyperpartisan, um, or if you're seen that way. And and I, I try to pierce that by focusing on uh, solutions uh, to problems instead of parties. Uh, so that that's been my formula, and it's worked well for me.
0: That's awesome. And I myself wasn't aware of the, uh, the earlier run uh, and I thought I did a good job prepping, but I I missed that piece. So, uh, it's pretty interesting to hear. And you talk about like being an underdog, uh, going from an underdog to inevitable. It's a really cool way to put it. Uh, I personally am a big believer in persistence and, and, you know, any failure is just one failure closer to success. Uh, I understand you had, had a very interesting childhood, uh, growing up as the son of the mayor, uh, your dad was the first Cuban mayor of Miami. Now you're the first Miami born mayor of Miami. Um, What was it like growing up with your dad as the mayor and how did, you know, maybe persistence, maybe some other values and aspects of your character uh, drive you to kind of follow in his footsteps and now not just become the mayor of Miami, but try to really transform Miami and evolve Miami beyond what your dad and and those before you left it.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, first, uh, you know, again, you have to sort of go back to go forward Uh, again. You know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, my dad was the first Cuban born mayor. I'm actually the first Miami born mayor, the first mayor of Miami that was born in the city in one hundred and twenty five year history of the city, entirety of the city. So and we're the first father and son mayor. So those are interesting sort of watershed um, events in our city's history. But you really got to go back to my dad's upbringing. You know, my dad is the ninth of 14 kids. He emigrated from Cuba in the 1960s at 12 years old, um, you know, uh, ended up in D.C., I learned the language. Uh, so it was a you know, classic immigrant story, got a full scholarship to college, got two graduate degrees from Harvard, uh, and came to Miami and ran for office, and, and ultimately became the first Cuban mayor in 1985 uh, to 1993. I was eight years old when, when that happened. And so it was a very, very weird upbringing to be the mayor's son at, at sort of that adolescent time in your life. Um, it's, a, it's a hard way uh, to, to create an identity for yourself. So I had to find a way uh, over time uh, to create my own identity. Um, you know, obviously preserving the legacy that my father uh, created and, and and respecting his legacy and his, his uh, advice. And he, he later became an elected official at the County level. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's all good. We have a great relationship, him and I, but I was very fortunate to see the ups and downs of what a political life is, uh, the way people treat you when you're in office versus the way people treat you when you're not in office, which is a life lesson about, uh, sort of the, the fact that it, you know, uh, You know, uh, power, if you will, is fleeting, and and you're going to have people that respond to you when you're in a position of authority, and then you know you have your 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 what I call your real friends, uh, which are the people that are going to uh, be by your side, having a beer with you when when all the lights go go off. So that that I've 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 sort of witnessed and experienced, and I think it helps me. It gives me a lot of perspective, Um, and it helped it, it has guided me in that. You know, my father believed in in the future of the city, and I am a big believer and I'm bullish. And I wouldn't have done this, uh, gone on this sort of tweet marathon on tech if it's not something that I felt, number one, I've been working for 10 years to to get to this point. And number two, I'm doing it not only for myself and my generation, but for my children and my unborn grandchildren, understanding that every city in America and every city on the planet will ultimately be competing to grow its tech ecosystem. Anyone that is not doing that is being negligent. as it, as it relates to its, its own population. So for me, it was, it was really kind of a no-brainer.
0: Yeah, I totally agree that tech, you know, it's driving everything and it's creating a lot of jobs and a lot of value and a lot of great companies in any city or country or state that's ignoring it is probably doing themselves a disservice. Let's talk about the, the tweet marathon that you mentioned. Uh, I'll use your words, you know, we'll, we'll go back a little bit to, to talk about where we are now and where we'll be going forward. Uh, from my perspective, it started, uh, Delian from Founders Fund tweeted, okay, guys, hear me out. What if we moved Silicon Valley to Miami? And you responded very simply, how can I help? Uh, and that just went absolutely viral. Um, did you have any idea? I mean, what was the story? behind that tweet if there was one or, you know, I imagine you didn't think too much of it when you actually sent it off. And then could you have at all envisioned what it would become? And, uh, you know, you mentioned 10 years, kind of in the in the waiting, but did you have any idea that that would trigger this blitz effort to bring, uh, you know, Miami up to speed as as kind of the next Silicon Valley or the next tech hub of the country and, and possibly the world?
1: none whatsoever.
0: Uh, I, I, I will embarrass,
1: I'll make some embarrassing admissions that I probably shouldn't make. One is I didn't know who Delian was. And I didn't even know what the, found, the founder's fund was <laughs> at the time. Uh, so, uh, you know, to me, the concept of creating a Silicon Valley in Miami is something that we've been working on for a decade, creating a foundation. And I didn't even realize you know, I, I always thought we were making great progress and, and we are making great progress prior to the tweet and prior to all this activity. But I, I, I didn't really have a full full grasp of, of how far we needed to go. Um, I don't think I fully grasped it until that moment. And that moment set off my, what I call my PhD, right, in, in, in trying to create a tech ecosystem, understanding, opening my eyes to what really needed to happen and what really, you know, to create the real critical mask and having people like Keith a voice who's been such a champion for Miami, you know Shervin, Apishavar, uh, who's been such a champion for Miami and getting more and more people involved, you know Jack Dorsey, um, the uh, Winkle, uh, Winkle Lost, uh, uh, twins having um, uh, you know, Tyler and Cameron and having so many people uh, express interest in the city, uh, this sort of Bitcoin uh, crypto revolution that we're, that we're in the midst of. So it, it just really accelerated it created it, it was an, a moment of acceleration. And it accelerated my understanding, the profound uh, interest and understanding of what it would take to get, to, to get there. And I basically didn't stop. And the reason why I didn't stop is because it was so positive, you know, and, and, and the how can I help tweet? It, it's really no different than what I do every day as a politician, as, as an elected official, I'm always asking people constantly, how can I help? And I think unfortunately in, in public service, A, people are usually not being helpful and B, to the extent that they are, they wanna put all these preconditions, right? Like, oh, we'll help you, but you need to do this, you need to do that. And I, I wasn't putting any preconditions. All I was saying was, look, I understand that that this industry has the ability to revolutionize our city and we've been trying to make it happen and I wanna accelerate that. And I think the tweet has accelerated it by a five to 10 year uh, uh, margin. And I'm, I'm hoping that, that this uh, moment continues and becomes a movement.
0: Yeah, I think you're doing an amazing job so far from the outside looking in. Uh, it was kind of all took me by surprise. I saw Keith announced that he was moving to Miami. I would had, had him on the podcast previously. He's one of my favorite investors. I think one of the smartest investors in the world and, and operators mm-hmm. for that matter as well in tech. Uh, Mateo, I also had on the podcast from Eight Sleep.
1: Pomp, I know you
0: spoke with, his, and he says hi, by the way. Uh, Pomp. Uh, and, you know, and his
1: wife. Great people. Pump is amazing. And the beauty of it is it, it's not just, you know, it's these power couples too, which is kind of fun for me, you know, and, and having them at City Hall and doing these cafecito tech talks where they come and they have coffee and we talk about, you know, why Miami, what their Miami story is. And by the way, that tweet got 2.3 million impressions. And the tweets that followed over the last 28 days have gotten, uh, I think it, at its high point, was two, uh, uh, 27 million organic impressions. No, you know, nothing paid. So uh, it, it's, it's really astonishing what uh, getting activated in the space and trying to own the space and, and, and be authentic, uh, what it's done for, for
0: me and for the city. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. You, you literally couldn't pay for, you could maybe pay for that many hits, uh, but you couldn't pay for that type of virality and authenticity and the reception that it's received. It uh-huh. would, I mean, you could spend billions of dollars and you wouldn't have the same genuine impact that I think something that naturally out of kind of goodwill gets yep. picked up and popular Absolutely. creates. You mentioned Keith and Shervin, and I was mentioning a few others who, who I've talked to who, uh, who are moving down to Miami now. What's it been like having, you know, what are you seeing as the benefits of having someone like Keith being the champion of Miami and kind of aiming, you know, alongside you uh, being, being the mayor as someone who's now just yeah. a citizen and resident helping lead the charge?
1: I think it's critical because, uh, I need validation, right? I mean, a mayor is supposed to advocate for his or her city, right? That's like what a mayor does. And then having people like him and Shervin, you know, go out there on Twitter and, and not only protect me when people come after me, uh, but, but it creates this, this critical mass and, and there's just so many people. And it's, you know, it, it it really creates a tremendous amount of uh, credibility and validation. He's, Like you said, he's not only one of the smartest investors in the world, he could be one of the smartest people in the world. Um, So uh, it's great to have uh, someone like him in our city championing us.
0: Great, so uh, I do wanna talk about kind of your vision. You talk about how Miami historically has been an intellectual talent exporter and you guys are aiming now to be a net importer. Um, What are some of, you know? and, and obviously some of these people are helping, but ultimately you're the mayor and you're driving a lot of this vision. Uh, sure. What are some of the things that you can do, uh, or that you've identified being able to do directly? Uh, I know there's certain things that just aren't in your control, and what you're doing in sure. terms of being just so supportive to the various types of companies and individuals that are are looking to relocate or consider w- would consider or be open to relocating to Miami. That's huge, and and I don't want to take anything away from that. That would be enough. But is there anything you know else policy-wise that you've identified as like some of the biggest ticket items that you could do?
1: Well, I mean, in terms of creating an ecosystem or accelerating the creation of an ecosystem, one of the things that I've been doing is identifying identifying what are the weak, weak, weak spots. And I think part of the, you know, some of the weak spots are, uh, you know, are legal in nature, right? Like we're looking at Wyoming's crypto laws to make sure that we're as proactive uh, and as uh, welcoming to crypto as Wyoming is. Uh, we're looking at, you know, incentives uh, from places like Austin to make sure that we're competitive on incentives. Uh, so we want to be competitive, I think, uh, you know, we want to be honest with ourselves and make sure that our educational system is up to par. Um, And so that's going to be a a process where we're reflecting uh, and also potentially inviting uh, top-tier educational institutions to have satellite uh, offices here. What we want is people to be able to get educated here and then stay here. What, What was happening when I was 20 years old is, you know, a lot of people went to Ivy League schools and then stayed in those areas in Boston, in New York, in Washington, if you're doing politics in LA, if you're going, you know, in Palo Alto and in and, and Silicon Valley, if you're going to do tech. So we, we want to change that narrative.
0: So recently some of the big hits outside of tech, there's also been some uh, movement of, of financial institutions, Blackstone, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan Chase, yep. uh, Citadel, you know, you guys aren't just aiming to be the tech hub, right? You're aiming to be, Just a a huge, you know, big new city for talent of all types. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about like your vision for Miami? Obviously, tech is an important component, but the future, you know, Miami in five years, Miami in 10 years, what does that look like to you?
1: It it looks like it's going to be the most important city uh, in the United States, hopefully, and and potentially one of the most important cities on the planet. Uh, You know, I think what you're talking about is an aggregation of a tremendous amount of capital, right? Not just uh, in terms of tech, but in terms of, of investment and in terms of businesses. And I think when you, the more intellectual ta- capital you congregate in a, in a particular place with the more actual capital, the more propensity for growth. I mean, that's just a sort of simple math. So I think uh, as as these uh, uh, phenomenon continue to occur uh, in terms of the, the companies that are choosing to move here you're going to see it is going to be an exponential growth because again, the more uh, of these things that you have, the faster they will grow. So I I think Miami is going to uh, catapult itself. I think the tweet uh, has created sort of a watershed lightning in a bottle type of moment that I think has also acted as an accelerator. So uh, you know, and and, and now I have realized the power of just getting the message out, right? I think one of the things that I, uh, that I did in my conversations with uh, my uh, mayor's tech working group is that, is that uh, I realized that we had probably some assets that we weren't talking about and that we didn't know. For example, uh, we have the most African-American Hispanic engineers in the country, right? Most people didn't know that. So a part of it is just telling our story. And I think the second part is making people feel comfortable that now is the time to make that move, that, that they're not taking any additional risk by moving to Miami.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned some of the, uh, the attractors. Obviously, Miami has a number of benefits. People probably are most familiar with the weather. Uh, less people, but also a lot of people understand that there's advantages in the tax laws. Uh, can you talk about some of like, you know what are the few things that you name up front when you talk about selling people on Miami? And I know it's been uh, a fairly easy sell for you as of late, but I uh, would love to kind of hear the pitch.
1: Well, the pitch is, you identified some of, of it, you know, part of it is our, of course, our weather. Part of it, I think, is our internationality and the fact that we're very well geo-positioned uh, at, uh, geographically uh, to have direct flights to Europe, Asia, uh, the Middle East, South America, and the United States. So if, if you're looking for a city that's international, there's no better city in, in America than Miami. Then you look at the, then you go over the tax question. And when you were looking, considering cities that were, uh, that had a huge cost differential with Miami, New York, LA. Uh, so where, where Miami is, is inexpensive, is, is a lot less expensive to, to buy a much nicer property. Then you consider the fact that we have no state income tax. We have no local income tax. Um, and then those used to be deductible from the federal income taxes and they're no longer deductible. From the federal income taxes, so it just becomes this this mountain of of uh, of reasons, and I think it, we've reached that tipping point where you know, listen, it's hard to uproot, it's hard to change, it's hard to move. Uh, nobody wants to you know have their kids come out of school and go and start over. But when you when you uh, put it all together, it just becomes an avalanche of reasons. And now that you have the critical mass, which I think was the last component, now it makes it easy because now you're not taking a big risk. Before, if you were one of the first arrivers, it's like, oh, wait a second, I'm going to Miami. People are like, wait, well, is Miami really established? Is it ready? And now I think every day that goes by where the more, you know, the more Keith voices that we have, the more voices like that, the more people believe that it's not only not risky, it's probably the least risky thing you can do and probably the most beneficial thing that you should do, uh, which is to move.
0: Yeah. And it's very interesting. I see it as like kind of the combination of two factors. So the first is what you mentioned, you know, once you have critical mass and kind of the flywheel yep. effect starts to take hold, it becomes a hell of a lot easier to get a lot of people on board and a lot of people moving. The second factor is that your timing is, uh, you know, maybe good in that sense, but also somewhat historic in that we've had obviously, a you know, a very unusual year with COVID. Yep. And what it's done is made a lot of companies remote only or remote first, at least for the foreseeable future. And so you have people who no longer are really tied to wherever they are and are much more willing to move. I myself have been staying in kind of Airbnbs for a good portion of the year and just traveling around and seeing different cities. Um, It's a very interesting dynamic that I think is going to encourage cities like yours to compete for citizens in a way that they haven't really done in the past because it was a lot harder to move out of cities, a lot harder to move into new cities. And now that's kind of, it's a brand new ball game. And you're the first mayor and really the first politician, even at, at the state level to be so kind of forward in, in recruiting, again, not just companies, but uh, individuals with a lot of influence in a, in a world where individual influencers make a ton of difference. Um, so it's, it's really exciting to watch. Are you seeing, you know, that type of that, that second trend that I, that I talked about take full where people are. Uh, Hopefully you're not seeing too many people, uh, you know, less friction on leaving, but you're seeing a lot of people who are just super willing to relocate or come move down there for a month and stay in in an Airbnb or something like that.
1: We absolutely are seeing it and we're encouraging it. And we're actually trying to get companies actively to promote it uh, because we feel that once people get down here, I've heard so many stories of people that said, I came down for a weekend, a weekend turned into a week, a week turned into a month, and now I'm buying a place. So we, we actually feel that that landscape is very favorable to the city. And what we're trying to do is convince big companies, you know, uh, there's a lot of different ways, uh, you know, to, to, uh, to achieve the goal, right? One of them, of course, is to continue to get and pitch. And we'll always do that a big anchor tenants, if you will, right. Tech tenants. But the other one is to say, listen, send me 500 of your, uh, of your, of your engineers to work remotely from Miami. And that also helps create more critical mass of talent. And so I think uh, Absolutely. That's something we're looking at. We're looking at non-competes as something that uh, maybe we will make a suggestion to the state uh, to, to reform based on best practices. So listen, we're looking at everything that we can look at to be as competitive as possible and make it as easy as possible for people to move here.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. And I know that, you know, Miami, to your point, it's not like this is all brand new overnight while it might've gone kind of viral and it might've leveled up by and accelerated by like five or 10 years. You guys have been focused on making Miami to some degree a tech hub for years and you already have companies. I I think Twitter has a good deal of employees in Miami, Um, some other companies as well. Uh, And, you know, I I saw in, in 2017, Uh, I think it was the Kauffman foundation recognized you guys as the number one city for startups. And that was passing Austin. And they found that you guys had more entrepreneurs per capita than any other Metro in the States. So that's something that like, I would have had no idea about if not for preparing for this interview and, you know, Miami now, now everyone's aware, but you guys have kind of built the foundation over the years. One of the problems that I, that I found from that Kauffman report was that while you guys are the number one city for startups, the issue has been that there hasn't been a lot of success, or or at least there's room for improvement in scaling and growth. Uh, How do you plan to kind of help? You know, uh, obviously, again, it's not up to you or in your control. I totally appreciate that. But what are some things that you can do to help Miami kind of go to that next stage where you don't just have startups, but you have the next, you know, batch of really successful companies growing and scaling?
1: Yeah, I think there's two things. I think one is the part of the reason why we are so entrepreneurial is because we're very much an immigrant community. You know, a lot of, a lot of Hispanic immigration communities that are here, but a lot of them own, you know, family owned businesses where they make money, they do well. Um, You know, they probably are are in high income tax brackets, but they see no reason why they must grow into a global company or, you know, a national company. Right. So that entrepreneurial spirit's there to create, uh, to take risk, uh, to create companies and to succeed it's just, it's just not uh, thought of as something, hey, I'm going to create a bakery that's going to be uh, franchised in the whole United States, right? So, or, or whatever the, the business is, uh, dry cleaning store or whatever, anything. Um, so I, I think that's part of it. And, and there's certainly a professional culture uh, in terms of people wanting to be doctors and lawyers and, 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 uh, and accountants. But I think, I think the, the second part of it is that, you know, you really didn't have that kind of VC money uh, that would be necessary to fuel uh, to, and to give the gasoline uh, f- for companies that are starting up to scale up. So I think that's part of it. And I think the, the third part of it we've already talked about, which is a lot of that intellectual talent of people that would that would have been scaling is probably Miami created talent in terms of they were born here, they went to high school here and they left to some Ivy League school and they are scaling up in other parts of the country. So uh, part of it is just getting those people back
0: uh, to Miami. Right. And that, that all makes sense. I, I want to go back and, and talk about some. you know, you mentioned, um, you know, Pomp obviously and, and the Winklevosses uh, and you brought up Bitcoin and crypto a couple of times said that you were looking to, to Wyoming and talking with them as they're kind of the most crypto friendly state right now. Um, you know, being a tech hub is obviously hugely important, but even just being a crypto hub in the United States would be phenomenal from my perspective for, uh, you know, a phenomenal addition of talent for, for Miami, arguably, there's no group of people, you know, in, in terms of coders and engineers, that's kind of more at the cutting edge in the world right now. And it's very much a global movement, which could attract global talent. Um, I saw that you were reading like the Winklevoss's book, I saw Pomp tweeted, you know, potential about you guys, yeah. you know, integrating Bitcoin into the, the states into the city system a little bit. Um, what's your current understanding of Bitcoin and, you know, just for some background, this is something like I, have had a lot of crypto related people on the podcast and, and Bitcoin is something that I, you know, I've spent a lot of time studying and understanding and I think it's an incredible technology. So we'd love to hear, uh, understand yeah. you might just be getting started, but would love to hear your sure. perspective.
1: So I'm sure, you know, a lot more about it than I do. Um, I think the concept of creating essentially a currency, uh, which has a decentralized, uh, authentication system, essentially. Uh, which and it has a finite amount of of that quote unquote currency, uh, so that you don't have government intervention for you know you know money supply issues and things of that nature. Uh, I think it's a fascinating uh, concept, right? And 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 I think that that as far as so far, Bitcoin has and, and there are probably other cryptos that have achieved this, right? They they have shown themselves to be impenetrable so far uh, in terms of real hacking. Um, they've been accessible and available to be exchanged and there's a certain amount of liquidity, um, they're very liquid so far, um, and, and they've managed the regulatory environment, I would say fairly well, uh, given the fact that, you know, I mean that fairly well and that they haven't been squashed, right, by any sort of regulatory agency, so I, I consider that a win. Uh, and I do think that they're becoming more and more mainstream. So I don't know, where, where does that put me, you think, in terms of my explanation, uh, in terms of zero to, to 10, uh, in terms of understanding of, of, of what it's about?
0: No, I mean, I, I don't want to number grade the mayor on his knowledge okay. of Bitcoin, but okay. it, was, it was definitely good and, and the best I've heard from a politician, if I can say that much.
1: Okay, cool. Um, I'll take that. I'll take that. But I, I, think, I think for me, uh, since I believe in, in the concept, uh, and i believe in 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 and i shouldn't say the concept it's not a concept it's reality uh since i believe in it i i, I do think that i want to particularly focus this year on doing some more integration stuff um like being able to make uh, payments to to government like taxes or or fees and things of that nature so that's what i want to focus on this year in terms of investment uh which is what pomp uh talked about you know we have to look at what our investment portfolio is our biggest issue is that we have risk tolerances in terms of of what we can invest in. It's not the actual investment itself, uh, whether the investment was a commodity or whether the investment was uh, currency or wh- whatever the investment is, it's, it's, it's about risk tolerances. So I've got to look at whether we have a percentage or an ability to p- put a percentage of our money in, a, in something that has the level of risk tolerance that, that Bitcoin has just, just by virtue of its newness. Um, but but you know I, it's funny because I put out a, a I, I sort of quoted something that pomp said in, in a and in I think it was a cNBC interview where he talked about uh Bitcoin being a very stable investment in an instable year and I got a lot of people that you know sort of tweeted at me and, and called me and texted me and say hey you can't say that bitcoin is stable and I said well first of all I qualified it by this year right uh, which is already a known year so I can look back and say that this year was it was stable in the sense that it was it, it it performed well in comparison to all the other markets in a year that was very unstable. And so even then I got people arguing with me, well, stability is not about growth. It's about, you know, you know, uh, the volatility, right? So even growth can be volatile. Uh, So I, I, so we got into big arguments and discussions about that. Uh, But, but I I think Bitcoin uh, is here to stay. I think cryptos are here to stay and I think they are going to be more and more mainstream as time goes on. So I'm bullish on that.
0: It's very cool to talk with you about this. And I, I, you know, I have to give my two cents a little bit. I think, you know, going back to what you said about Miami, that it's been attractive for tech for a while, but you need to have kind of the critical mass for, uh, you know, people to start coming. And then the effect just, you know, network effects, it, it starts to grow where people are more comfortable coming because there's more people there. And then the more people there, more people are comfortable coming, et cetera. Bitcoin, uh, you know, ha- has come to fruition from that very same effect, people believing and then the price going up and then people seeing the price going up and more people believing, et cetera, et cetera. And what I think is interesting for you, if I can just say one quick thing, is that you have companies like, I, I don't know, you mentioned Jack Dorsey earlier. I don't know if you've yeah. talked to him about like Bitcoin specifically, but um, they at, at, at his company Square put, I think, 1% of their uh, balance sheet in, in Bitcoin. Uh, other companies have been more aggressive and put their entire balance sheet in Bitcoin. What I think would be interesting, I, I totally appreciate you have this risk um you know, to, to manage with your portfolio. But even if you could just put 1% or even less than that, whatever, you know, say Bitcoin is viewed as a hundred percent risky investment, which probably right. it's not. Um, but, but if it was, which is, you know, fair, then right. if there's a very small percentage that shouldn't really affect the risk of the right. overall portfolio and it can actually grow quite large. And the reason I bring the network effect up is because um, you know, other cities may see Miami As kind of the first city to formally do that and very publicly do that. Obviously, you're becoming a very public figure. And then they'll follow and it'll kind of be a self-fulfilling prophecy that the amount that you put into Bitcoin will then appreciate because other cities have seen Miami do it and might follow suit. So I, I totally get that. And that's, by the way, Pomp made the exact same argument and it's a good argument.
1: You know, basically he's like, look, pick a number that you could like lose completely and, and use that number because the signaling effect, like you said, uh, of, of, of the city doing it and being a first adopter would be so significant that it it, it diminishes or if not completely eliminates the possibility that it will actually be a losing bet. Right. But, uh, and I don't think it would be a losing bet by the way, it's more of an issue of just, you know, it, you don't have, you know, a bunch of Francis is my age running around in our government, you know, or, or in government generally. So just think of that, you know, and, and the other people that I have to convince, uh, because I don't do things by executive fiat, right? I have to do things through through consultation, through uh, collaboration. So I have to sometimes convince people that are, you know, my father's age, um, you know, uh, to go along with me. And 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 there are things about Bitcoin that I think. Uh, you know, there are reputational things that I think they've done a great job over time of dealing with, but those things linger in, in, in the minds of some people. And so, you know, I think we all collectively have to do a good job of making sure that we can um, push forward, because I do think that breaking those uh, barriers of, of legitimacy and breaking those barriers of, of mainstreaming is incredibly important for Bitcoin's uh, continued growth.
0: Yeah, and I, and I totally appreciate your point. I'm not trying to make it seem like it's a, it would be a trivial effort by any means. No, I know, I, I know, I know, I know you get it. I know you get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, just to, to conclude on, on the subject, I think, you know, like you said, when you tweeted at, at Delian, you, you didn't even know really what you were getting yourself into, and it ended up being kind of the catalyst for a lot of this. I think that uh, getting, you know, whatever it is, 0.1% uh, into Bitcoin or, or whatever it might be, would be one of those things that might seem like just one of a number of actions, but could actually end up being like the thing that helps a lot of momentum. Uh, so it's, it's interesting. And, and I really, you know, it's, it's super cool to hear uh, your perspective and obviously you've, you've been reading up on it and everything like that. So uh, super. interesting. And I'm going to keep
1: reading on it, by the way, that's just the first of two or three books that I'm going to read on it. Cause I, I want to know a little bit more about the nuts and bolts, and have a pretty good sense of it. Cause I have been, you know, I've been reading upon about it over, over time. Um, but, but yeah, uh, I, I'm a believer.
0: Yeah. I'll send you something. I wrote about it. If you're interested, obviously a lot sure. of great people are writing, but um, I, I take a very fundamental approach and try to be really reasonable about yeah, it. I would love to read it. I would yeah, so, love to So I'll, I'll send that your way. Um, I want to talk a little bit, you know, moving away from, uh, the, the growth of Miami and the tech focused stuff, which is all super interesting and was, you know, fascinating to hear your, your take on, on a lot of those questions I had, but I want to talk a little bit about more, you know, we have like five or 10 minutes left, just, you know, more traditional politics, um, outside of this last month or so. So one, one exciting, you know, thing for you, I heard is that you're going to be the president of the U S conference of mayors in 2022. So, you know, congratulations on that. First of all, what does that mean to you?
1: it's incredibly important I mean it means that my colleagues uh, all the mayors of the United States Republicans and Democrats have decided that I am the right person to lead uh, all the mayors of the United States uh, for the year 2022 there's going to be some there's going to be an announcement tomorrow when this podcast is actually being published uh, but uh, that will sort of uh, extend that Uh, so uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, and that's what I've been told so we'll see how we'll see how that all plays out but the point is that that it's it's just an incredible opportunity to to have a national voice of mayors, um, as opposed to just being the mayor of a city. And I think it's something that's going to be exciting and it's going to give me a platform for, uh, you know, everything that I'm doing in technology and in Bitcoin and in, in blockchain. Um, it, it will give me that a platform to talk about these things on a national level.
0: Right. So uh, I've got a few more questions if uh, you know if that's all right. The first is you also added a civility pledge. Um, to the oath of office for newly elected officials, I understand. What, you know, why did you do that? Why was that important to you? What's the importance of having more civility in politics than we're seeing today?
1: You did do your research. You did do your research. That's good. Um, I, I, I Again, going back to how I got elected by 86%, you know, I, I, I think civility is a lost art in public discourse. I think uh, if we treat each other with integrity, Um, I I think we can disagree on things without being disagreeable. We can disagree intensely on things. We can disagree passionately about things. We can take the opposite position and it should never be personal. It should never be personalized. And I think that's that's something that's been lost in politics. And I think part of the reason why uh, being an elected official has lost its sort of nobility is because we've forgotten uh, how important it is for us to, to treat each other civilly. By the way, that's not just something that politicians should do. It's people, we should do that in our everyday, uh, you know, in the way we treat and interact with people on a daily basis. But I think certainly uh, when you're in a public position, it becomes even more important because uh, everybody's looking to you and, and, and everyone is analyzing everything you do and say and scrutinizing it. So I think uh, your actions have to even be held at an even higher standard. So, uh, to me, the reason why we did it is because I think that, you know, besides being on the blue team or the red team, what's most important, I think, in, in a politician is that they're a good person, that there's someone that cares, that there's someone that obviously acts with integrity, but that also treats other people kindly. And I think part of the reason why I asked, how can I help? Is because to me, that's the fundamental question that we should always ask our, each other, right? I think I think the Miami community now needs to, to ask me, how can they help me? Because I'm overwhelmed, you know, in my DMs and you know, in the interest of podcasts and people that want to talk about this. So I'm going to need help, and that's uh, you know, and that's important too.
0: Yeah. So you talked about you know not being too far on either side of in terms of party lines uh, and taking a very bipartisan approach. Um, I know, you know, technically you're, you're a Republican, but, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that's not, you, you couldn't just like look up the Republican playbook and, and set of policy kind of perspectives and, and that wouldn't necessarily align directly with you. You take an independent view and think for yourself and come to your own conclusions with more of a problem-solving mindset like you talked about. Uh, I do want to, you know, wrap up with with one issue that's, that's a tough issue, but I'd like to hear your perspective because, um, you know, you're... You have a Cuban heritage, but you're a Republican. I think immigration is something that, you know, people talk a lot about and people tend to get on both sides of the argument, very, uh, you know, passionate about and extreme about. And I understand some people have certain backgrounds. But uh, from my perspective, there's just briefly like, you know, U.S. is obviously built by immigrants and, you know, immigrants have played a fundamental America wouldn't be what America is at all without immigrants. And there's no, you know, there's no denying that there's no reasonable way to deny that. At the same time, those people who, you know, are overly sympathetic, from my perspective, to illegal immigrants, for example, um, I think, you know, there's a reason we have policy. And there's a reason that there's a legal process to immigrate to the United States. And, you know, we might be able to change that policy and change some of the laws. But it's not as easy as saying like, let everyone who wants to come come or don't let anyone in. There's actually probably an answer in the middle. Sure. Uh, and you strike me as someone who's kind of a middle-minded person yeah. and with your background, you know, a family that that immigrated to the U S very recently, uh, and also kind of understanding maybe the Republican perspective
1: Yeah,
0: as a Republican would love to hear kind of your thoughts on the issue at a national level.
1: Yeah. It's one that, uh... You know, I, I struggle with certain arguments that people make on it, and I and to me, it, it really shouldn't be, to me, it really shouldn't be a fundamentally difficult issue. Um, I think if you want to be an American, and what like you said, what's great about this country is we are a country of immigrants, so we have to start there. I mean, if, if for example, the laws were such that when my parents came, they would not have been able to come for whatever reason. Then I may not be an American. I may not have been the mayor, and who knows what I may not be in the future. So there was a process and, and, and a legal framework for me to be able to uh, become a U.S. citizen. How has that legal framework uh, adapted over time? Uh, I think in some ways it's adapted unfairly for certain people over others. And I'll give you you know we we were one of the privileged uh, groups, right? If you if you uh, if you were Cuban. There was an the Cuban Adjustment Act, uh, Wet Foot, Dry Foot. If you were Cuban and you you touched American soil, you were automatically eligible for political asylum, and you were automatically eligible to become a citizen. Um, and so we benefited from that for decades in in the United States. But nobody else did. Not if you were Mexican. Not if you were Haitian. Um, you know. So that to me was it always sort of uh, it, it bothered me. You know, as, as someone who feels like there's someone who who should be uh, you know who, who who wants to pursue fairness, right? So I think I think the problem is that our, our system is somewhat broken. Uh, but I think if listen, I think if you are a law abiding person that wants to uh, pay taxes, that that has the ability to get a job in this country, because right now or pre COVID we were at full employment. Uh, some would argue we were at hyper full employment, um, and and you know and there's no national security reason why you know, we can't deny your entry, then you should have the ability to potentially become a US citizen under our legal immigration laws. Right. And so I think part of the problem is that it's just like so many problems in our country, uh, they become hyper uh, politicized. I mean, COVID for God's sakes, which is a pandemic has become hyper politicized. You know what I mean? And, And so we have to get away from hyper politicizing these issues. And we have to start looking at these issues as problems that need to be solved. And if we look at it as a problem that needs to be solved and we have some fundamental guiding principles, some of the ones you articulated, some of the ones I'm trying to articulate, um, I think we can find a common ground and come to a solution where we can have a legal immigration system that is respected and that is good for the country, it's healthy for the country. I don't think it's that difficult. I think what makes it difficult is that this there's an artificial construct that if you're on the red team, you must think this way, this way, this way, and this way. And you must vote this way, this way, this way, and this way on the issue. And if you're on the blue team, then you must think and vote this way, this way, this way on the issue. And I think we just, if we could just take that one issue and say, Hey, this is one issue. We're not going to make it partisan. We're not going to do a red team, blue team thing. let's We're going gonna to do an experiment. We're just going to look at it as a problem that we need to solve. Uh, and we're going to reflect on our own, how we got here as citizens and what makes this country great. Like you said, and and you look at tech as a great example. Tech is 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 a an industry that is completely dominated by immigrants. Um, and but for you know having a healthy immigration system over a long period of time, you know we wouldn't have a lot of these innovators and these creative minds, people who are very entrepreneurial, people who are salt of the earth, who really want to uh, do well. So I you know I don't know if I've given you a good answer or I've given you a political answer, but I, I feel like that's where I'm at, and I really don't think that it would be that difficult to solve if we um, looked at it from the perspective that, that I look at it.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a great answer. And, and I, don't, I don't think it was overly political by any means. I, it, it was very reasonable from my perspective. And, you know, people don't have to agree. But I think that taking a balanced approach and acknowledging pros and cons is kind of the first step towards uh, improving a lot of these issues that we're dealing with today. Um, Mayor, I want to thank you so much for, for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Love following what you're doing in Miami. Uh, might be due for a visit myself soon. Gotta
1: come back. Uh, come on. Yeah. It's part of the Miami story. Let's go.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, you know, again, appreciate the time and, uh, can't wait to see what's next. Where can people follow this story, follow you on Twitter? Um, you know, see what's next for Miami and for you?
1: Well, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at uh, Francis Suarez. Uh, and at Miami mayor, those are two Twitter handles that I have. One of them is my personal. The other one is my public. Um, the at Francis Suarez one is, is the one that, that I've been tweeting from. So that one, you know, you, you can follow both of them. And then at mayor of Miami is my Instagram handle. So you can follow me there. We do a lot of stuff on there and the live stuff. We're going to be doing some live stuff from Twitter as well. Um, and then I'm in LinkedIn and, and obviously, um, uh, join clubhouse and, and, and on Facebook as well
0: very cool well uh you're taking the world by storm and i'm rooting for you from afar so uh thank, thank you, you again and i uh, looking it. forward to what's next you got it likewise hope you're along for the ride